All right. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to the 40th edition of to the Two Black to Nerdy podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your host, Chris. And today uh, we have two special guests with us. We're going to be discussing uh, Marvel What If and Shang-Chi, the recent Marvel film that just dropped. So um, I guess we'll have both our um, guests introduce themselves and then... Uh, you guys can introduce yourselves. I guess we'll go with uh, we'll go with Pep first, and then yeah, just introduce yourself and just tell us what was the first nerdy thing you ever got into. Uh, it's usually what we ask all our guests. Uh, my name is Pep, uh, or known in content creation as Element Seven. You can find my, me at my socials here uh, on TikTok underscore Element Seven underscore Element Seven on YouTube and uh, Element Seven X Seven spelled out on Twitter. Uh, the first thing that I, the first nerdy thing I did was, um, it had to do with Star Wars. Um, cause like from a very early age, my, my older brother showed me the VHS of A New Hope and, um, I really got into the world building, um, aspect of Star Wars. Like whenever, when the force was first spoken about, that was when I was like, what is this thing? And like, what are the upper limits if there, if there were any, and that was like it's a weird question to ask yourself when you're like you know at that age but then like empire strikes back came out and then like we met yoda and so like everything kind of um launched off from that point like in terms of like writing stories and exploring fantasy uh star wars um star wars empire strikes back was the first time that i had had the inspiration and the motivation to chase every other fantasy that I hadn't been paying attention to uh, from there. So, yeah, that's why I cover Star Wars. Okay, yeah. I mean, we've uh, definitely covered Star Wars here. Chris is the biggest uh, biggest Star Wars person I know in real life. So, <laughs> you know, definitely, definitely in the right place. Uh, and Nick, you want to go next? Yeah, I'm Nick. Uh, no social media handles, just a buddy of Chris's, Chris with a C to clarify. Uh, yeah, first nerdy thing I got involved in was definitely Pokemon. I was like three when it came out, so I was at the perfect age for it just to like steal all my parents' money, uh, watching the anime, playing the games. I actually picked up the games before I can read, believe it or not. The first Pokemon game is really difficult if you can't read. Uh, very deceptive in that way. So, yeah, that's probably the only nerdy thing that I've really held on to uh, all the way through into my adult life. Um, and just, like, uh, I, I love the world. I just love the idea of there being fantasy worlds that are more interesting than our own world. It also kind of got me and uh, bridged me into Harry Potter for a while as well. So... Yeah, that's definitely it for me. Yeah, Pokemon definitely have a history with that as well. So, fun franchise, and it'll literally probably never end. So they got—I don't know if you've seen the meme with the. I think they were hold. I think it's um, someone's holding like a Nintendo DS, and it's like it prints money. Whenever mm -hmm. I think of Pokemon, <laughs> that's what I think of. It's pretty, pretty funny. So Pokemon is not my history; it is my present. I will be getting the new games. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, it still got its hooks in me. Well, uh, mm -hmm. well, we could probably do a Pokemon-related episode eventually. But, um... Alright, so getting into Marvel What If. I guess I'll briefly explain what Marvel What If is for people who don't know. We are going to go into spoiler territory. 
Um, and then uh, we can just go through each episode. So Marvel What If is a TV series. It's an animated series that um, essentially they take uh, like care. They take storylines and characters within the Marvel Cinematic Universe and sort of and sort of give you like what if scenarios. They'll change a certain detail um, about a storyline that ends up having like a resulting effect um, based off a line of comics where they'll do. They'll, they'll do stories like this. So the first episode, I feel like, is pretty much there. We can talk about it to give everyone an idea of what if is about. And it's um, what if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers. So I believe she goes by Captain... It's not it's Captain Carter, I believe, yep. is what she goes by. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll just go through each episode. So what are you guys' thoughts on the first what if episode? What were your impressions? What did you like, not like, etc.? You know, I thought uh, the first episode kind of laid the, laid the groundwork of what we were going to, to watch for all of the rest of the what-ifs because it really kind of reached into this um, what-if scenario that was um, fantastical in nature. Like, what if, uh, you know, what if she had the super serum instead of Steve? And what I loved about the episode was that it kind of didn't remove Steve from the equation it kind of like made a scenario in which she could get it instead of him but he was still a part of the story and you know towards the end like you know i I had i had thoughts in my head like they better not make steve like save the day in uh, you know when the story is about captain carter and so I, i i like um what they did with with the this episode and just in general like the concept of what if it's very nice yeah, I thought um, they were just going to kill Steve and then, you know, so Peggy was just going to, you know, take his place. But no, they, you know, kept it uh, around them. And it also proved that, you know, Peggy loved Steve, the the man, not, you know, Captain America, the icon, which, you know, you always get those questions in, in comics when it comes to, you know, the love interest and the secret identity. Do they love the hero or do they love the person underneath the cow? Yeah, I, I liked the episode, especially for what it was doing for the series. It's definitely the most grounded of the four episodes. Very little changes in the grand scheme of things. Like the individual parts might be different, but they still end up at the same place, mm-hmm. even if you just swap a couple of characters around. Um, I do feel, though, that for my interest, the way that I was looking at the series, it sticks a bit too close. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they put a lot of emphasis on Steve. Uh, which was fine. I mean, they they care for each other. That's kind of what we wanted to see. We don't really get to see much of them interacting in the normal MCU, but I felt like Peggy was so much more interesting than little Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would have liked more emphasis on like the unique perspective that she has. Yeah, I'm interested to see, you know, her Avengers time, you know, you know, as she leads the team, because we we see that she's, for the most part, she's stronger than Steve, just mm-hmm. because starting out wise, she you know she was already a trained spy, so she's had combat training. She's physically fit, as opposed to Steve, who is beyond uh, the peak of human condition when he gets a soul, uh, super super soldier serum, and Peggy is, you know, even further beyond. If if Steve Super Saiyan two, Peggy Super Saiyan three. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up like how much or how little 
it changed things because it because it makes me think about whether or not like what would it would it actually be very different if it was her because then you know in this what if scenario if if very little changes about the like the consequences of that decision or that outcome then we could theoretically have captain carter here like mm-hmm. in the mcu canon mm-hmm. and still have the same that's like, true narrative play out I will say there is one I feel like see so one thing I thought was interesting I mean personally what I would have done was that they they do the thing where everyone knows where Bucky falls he falls off I forget he falls off the mountain or something like that right they do that with Steve and Steve gets saved if it was me I definitely would have had Steve like fall off that mountain and then brought him back as a winter soldier (laughs) in the present and then you could have done like a winter soldier sequel thing except now it's like there's a romance attached to it but I will say that since it, it at least it appears there is like Steve and Bucky are still alive, they're going to continue like with that like line of storylines. If there's no Winter Soldier, you know, do Iron Man's parents still die? Like there are things where it's mm-hmm. like there there are ways I feel like they could trickle and do changes if they wanted to continue with like I guess you would call like the Cap the Captain Carter like uh uh world line I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't have a Winter Soldier, and maybe Hydra isn't as powerful, I feel like then the MCU would be different, you know? Oh, yeah. There's no way Civil War would play out the same way. Like, uh, the relationship between Steve and Bucky is the only reason that things kind of, like, get out of hand with miscommunication. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know I'm jumping the gun here, but what if those things are absolute points? Yeah. That's true. Like somebody has to, somebody in that relationship or with a similar relationship has to get the super uh, soldier serum, and then somebody has to die and become the Winter Soldier, and then Mm. somebody has to kill. So who would it be, Howard Stark? Then, Mm. because then he doesn't have Tony. Like there's there's a lot of like moving parts here. I'm sure the writers can think of something. They'll be like, oh, it was it was Jim in accounting. He was the one who died, and it was the same role. And I also don't think that there's going to be or Tony's daddy issues wouldn't be as prevalent because, you know, Howard worships Steve. I don't mm-hmm. see him worshiping Peggy in the same way. So yeah. then, you know, there's no sure. some of that resentment from Tony placed on Steve. No, uh, having him be the cue to uh, Peggy's 007 definitely would be more of him. I don't know, relishing in his own accomplishments because he's the he's the tech guy. He doesn't have to attribute yeah. it like to Steve, who's an icon. It's interesting to think about all this stuff, though. Right, and I think they're gonna go forward. I mean, some I of the so, yeah. teasers for the series makes it look like there's gonna be at least some crossover. From what I've heard, it's gonna be like a, the end episode, or maybe the two end episodes are gonna be like bringing all these variants, as Loki would call them, mm-hmm. uh, together um, to fight something. Okay. I'd be down for that. Because as we get into the second episode, this isn't Chadwick Boseman's final performance, allegedly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Does uh, anyone have any closing thoughts on the first episode before we go to the second one? If not, okay. Uh, Yeah, so the second episode... My personal favorite, I mean, I think it was a pretty it was a pretty standout episode, I think. It's what if um, T'Challa was kidnapped by the Ravagers as a kid and ended up becoming Star-Lord instead of Peter Quill. And I will say, 
the reason I like this episode the most is because you saw how that change completely changed most of the universe. And it was Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman's, at, at least one of his last performances as T'Challa. It was pretty much just him just being a badass in space for 25, 30 minutes. And, um, I mean, he was a better Star-Lord than the actual Star-Lord. So I guess... Yeah. um. Yep. We can get into it. I mean, this episode, they there was so many changes because of this. Um, I guess we can just open up the floor. So what aspects of this episode did you like? What changes did you like? Were there any surprises that really got you and you're like, oh, that was really cool, etc.? The fact that the fact that he was a better Star Lord, like n- not necessarily empirically, but like socially. Like everyone was like, this is the Star Lord versus like when Peter Quill is is Star Lord and he's trying to impress that name on people. Yeah. Um. But but I'll say I'll say really like um, concisely, my favorite change is Nebula. <laughs> right. With I hair. mean, well, it's yeah. the hair, and she. I mean, she's slightly happier. I mean, they still did a little bit experimentation with Thanos, so she doesn't have the best relationship, but it's not as bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they pretty much turned her on into like a like a James Bond girl, which was I thought which was a lot of fun. You like you didn't know what side she was on. She was very flirty. It was just a totally different take than what you've seen uh, with that character. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great kind of change of pace to see her not be kind of restricted by or not have the character limits of being put together or like taken apart yeah. by Thanos. Like she's she's a whole person now and then her character based on that foundation is a lot is a lot different at least from that context right and they still keep the most interesting aspects like she has a relationship with thanos she just has a lot more autonomy because thanos yeah. is no longer like a demigod that mm-hmm. exists to oppose our heroes he's just a guy and i also feel like this episode was the first to really be like hey here's a bunch of easter eggs pause yeah, as much as you can throughout this episode, um, and th- this episode also came out on my birthday, so I was like, "Marvel, how dare you give me one of your, like give me Chadwick <laughs> Boseman on my birthday? I'm supposed to be happy today." Um, yep. But it-, it was a lot of fun to watch um, how everything changed. You know, Th- T'Challa was able to convince Thanos about his plan was wrong. And, um, you know, he convinced, I can't remember Jamon Honsu's character's name, but he, you know, joined his Ravagers. You know, you had Howard the Duck again, and you had Cosmo the Space Ash, you know, Puppinot, and you know, so uh, the Collector being the villain and taking in the, um, the role of, you know, the Mad Titan, as it were, is was interesting, because, you know, some people seem like, oh, he's just this, you know, you know his this eccentric guy and no like yeah no beneath that he's he's not a good person yeah right. i loved i love the call out to the mad titan because he's like mm-hmm. i'm mad like yeah. oh snap mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the ongoing like uh gag with with like isn't that genocide it's like it's indiscriminate yeah <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they were they just took a bunch of Marvel fans like comments like on a post and they're just like, All right, put this into the script. <laughs> right. It was definitely very self aware for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like the yeah. collector. I like that he had uh Hella's uh headdress and did like her pose. I was like, ah, that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely a 
sad episode in retrospect. I don't know if you guys saw the interview with Kevin Feige after it came out, but uh, he was talking about how Chadwick came to him after they he saw the script. And he was like, you know, I really want to, I like this Star-Lord and I want to integrate some of that into uh, my future uh, Black Panther performances. And he was going to talk to uh, uh, the writers for Black Panther 2. And obviously we won't be able to see that performance, which is unfortunate. Well, now I'm sad again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I really liked about this episode, too, is that it just showed that, you know, T'Challa, he's an awesome dude and an awesome character, even, like, when he isn't the Black Panther. Like, you know, you put him yep. in a different scenario, and he's still very heroic, you know? He turned the... Ra- he essentially turned... He essentially made the Ravengers, like, good guys, right? So, mm-hmm. again, yeah, it is probably the most charming um, T'Challa <laughs> we're ever going to get. Um, so yeah, it is, uh, it, it's bittersweet for sure, but I'm kind of, I'm glad that like they recorded this and they had this and like, you know, we were able to get it now, like a year later, mm-hmm. it does kind of feel like almost like a final gift where it's like, okay, you're not going to get Black Panther too, but like, here's something, yeah. you know, Chad was able to leave something behind. So, I mean, yeah, all in all great episode, uh, for sure. It's yeah. like, it's like, you know, knowing, knowing Tupac's dead, but then like having a new album come out mm-hmm. like 10 mm-hmm. years later. <laughs> <laughs> Is he dead though? <laughs> Episode topic for another podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, but also this was sort of a preparation for the two episodes that come after it. Oh yeah. Where you have, you know, like Chadwick, you know, it's like that bittersweet ending gets happy, but it's sad. Then you get into the next two episodes, and they're just sad. So do you yeah. wanna you wanna get into the, do you wanna get in the third one? Uh, does anybody have anything else about this episode at all? Nope. Okay. I, so the, just third, so. the third episode um, was definitely interesting. It, it's essentially a murder mystery where um, it it opens kind of with the it opens with the the donut scene from Iron Man two where Black Widow and Jack's Iron Man with um. I believe it's like a hangover cure type deal, right? Or at least something to stop the metal, the, the shrapnel that was killing him in that movie, I think. Yeah, um, it a, yeah, it was a surface. Yeah. Not a placebo, but it was a surface cure. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the not the cause. that scene plays the same, and then Iron Man just drops dead. So essentially, the mystery of this episode is that someone's killing off like members of the original six Avengers before they're even able to uh, form... And a lot of the episode is you trying to figure out uh, who it was. Um, the, so it, it's kind of hard to judge this episode because I feel like you're only going you're, you're you'd enjoy it the most in the first viewing. I feel like rewatching it when you know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know. This, this is an interesting episode. I will say that it gave Black Widow a lot to do, like more than some of uh, some of the actual movies. You really got to see. Uh, Black Widow and Nick Fury have a really good bond and connection because they're kind of the main two trying to figure out this mystery. Um, And there were definitely some interesting uh, things that happened. Uh, Loki's in it, and I thought they played uh, with Loki really well. I feel like after watching a Loki show and then watching this, Loki, to be honest, was never like my favorite Marvel character, unlike pretty much everybody else. And I feel like the Loki show in this What What If episode really showed like how important Loki was to, like, the MCU and, like, 
getting like the superhero teams to actually form and being like the first big bad guy that they have to fight. So um, I guess we can go into uh, what is everybody's uh, what's, what was everyone's thought about this episode? The mystery, the twists, how all the Avengers died. Were you like sad? Did you think it was kind of funny? Because um, definitely uh, Hulk dying was. Um, it was definitely uh, really kind of goofy and cartoony how they did that. I don't think it would have worked yeah. in live action. The way he died only would have worked in an animated thing. So uh, we can just uh, get into it. Yeah, I I, I was interested seeing all of them die. I was like, all right, they're all dying in a specific way. You know, Hawkeye said he didn't fire the bow, but... We clearly saw it like let go out of his fingers. So I'm like, okay, is it a mind control person? Who have we seen in the MCU with mind control? That can't be Scarlet Witch. Too soon. Um, so then I was thinking, you know, when uh, Black Widow was like, it's all a hope. And I was like, it's Janet. Janet's doing it. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, right. Hank exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, yeah. I was at the same time. As soon as they said hope, up until then, I was like, am I dumb? Because I have no idea what they're trying to lead me to. Like, I've watched a lot of mystery things, and usually they give you more breadcrumbs. This one's a lot of, like, checking them off of the bingo card. Which heroes and villains do we know more than anything else, I feel? Yeah. I mean, mean, Sorry, you can go first. uh, Just the the episode, like, got me twice. Like, you know, leading up to the reveal of Hank, I I really was clueless um, uh, up until the same point that that everyone else clued in on it. But, like, it was weird, like, seeing everyone – because there wasn't any kind of, like, clues um, uh, up to that point. You know, people were dying mysteriously and in different ways, so there wasn't any kind of, like, modus that we could follow. Um, And then, you know – she had her syringe uh, analyzed and it was this tiny nano projectile and that's when like things started to line up but then like the episode caught me again when they started fighting and i was like i didn't know fury was this like <laughs> was this capable um so I, I definitely did i mean of course if i had paid more attention to like i'm gonna make a deal with the devil or, or something then i would have caught on but just like i guess i was shocked by the very notion that that fury can see hank and then he can fight like that with right like, it was it was crazy yeah i'd say that this was one of the episodes that really brought to light the fact that what if is a lot more cartoony than everything else the mcu puts out mm-hmm. i haven't seen that modok show maybe that one's even more cartoony but uh yeah, the dialogue and the action and the uh, visuals are definitely a lot more PG than PG-13 mm-hmm. and uh, aimed at a general audience. I'm not sure if they're advertising it that way, but that's definitely the end product. Yeah, when I saw uh, Fury, you know, when Hank shrunk down to go, you know, like hit Fury and I saw Fury smack and I was like, okay, that's Fury. Then I saw the flip and I was like, Okay, that's Loki. <laughs> like, you know, Fury Fury is pushing like seventy. I don't think he. I don't think he's doing all that. You're still pretty spry for an <laughs> office person. Yeah, I definitely. I I will say that I did like that this episode. I mean, it kind of showed off how deadly like Ant Man could be and how like how those powers, you know, they got in the wrong hands. It's like, oh no, he could he could mess some people up, especially if they don't know he's coming, right? That's probably the biggest thing is that if Ant-Man can shrink somewhere, he can kill a lot of people. And- Yeah, you know, the atomizing and- disc with the with Hulk's heart, I thought that was pretty creative. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely was. Yeah. That's the closest we're going to get to Reddit's theory about killing Thanos by expanding into Hulk. <laughs> yep. yep. And, no, um, I'm still not convinced that would have killed Hulk. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> right? And, oh, wow. and Hank Pym was a good choice, I think, just because... He in the comics, Hank Pym's a lot darker. They took a nicer take with him in the movies. I mean, in the comics, he's famous for hitting his wife and getting kicked out of the Avengers. So you know, which is why they definitely made things. Yeah, they definitely made Scott. That's why they made Scott like the main Ant Man in the movies. I'm pretty sure. So it was nice for them to experiment with a darker Hank Pym because we're not we're not going to get that in the movies ever. I don't think so. And I mean it. You know, but I will agree that they didn't really leave a lot. They didn't leave any obvious clues. You know, they tried to mislead you a little bit. Like you saw, like, a, I think it was Crossbones and some of the Hydra guys. So you're like, oh, well, maybe it's Hydra. And it's like, no, you know, Loki invades early because they killed Thor. And you're like, did Loki have something to do with it? No. So, I mean, it, you know, all in all, it was a good episode. I would just say that I agree with Nick. Like, with mysteries, usually they give you a little bit more. But this one, yeah, no, not really. And then you see his Hank, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else before we go on to the last one? Yeah, let, let, let's get into this last one. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. All right, so this last episode, I believe they uh, called it What If Stephen Strange Lost His Heart Instead of His Hand? So essentially, yep. in this universe, I believe in the movie, him and his girlfriend, they had broken up. They weren't together, but they were still, like, working in the same hospital, whatever. This one, they're together. They're, like, I think, what, driving home from some awards gala they're or whatever. they to an award show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or going or driving home, and they get in a car accident, and his girlfriend... I forget her name. I'm so sorry. Christine. Christine, yeah. So Christine dies, and that ends up being the motivator for this version of Doctor Strange to get his powers. And I guess we're let to assume that the events of the movie pretty much play out the same way. He still fights Dormammu and does that whole thing. But afterwards, he... This version of Doctor Strange, he can't get over, like, the loss of uh, Christine. So he ends up getting involved in, like, dark magic and pretty much just... Everything goes to hell, so we can uh, just go ahead and talk about our thoughts about the episode. And I think this is the perfect time to talk about Jeffrey Wright as Uatu, the Watcher. Oh, yeah. The Watcher yep. is our narrator throughout this series, and we've heard you, you hear some of them from the beginning of the episode and at the end of the episode, but this one you got to really see them throughout, and just Jeffrey Wright just had the perfect voice for it. Oh yeah. yeah. If you watch Westworld, he, his character is is amazing in it. Um, yeah. He he has a great narrative voice. Uh, this 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 episode was rough for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, we we're all aware of like the time paradox. If you if you go back in time to change the the events leading to you going back in time, it doesn't really work. So like it was interesting to find um, to see the ancient one explaining you know like absolute points in time that you can't change um and i'm wondering about like the larger implications of that like moving forward with the multiverse of madness because i'm pretty sure that's going to be a huge kind of like knocking point for them to to you know uh achieve or or deliver on with that movie because essentially what what dr strange starts to do in this episode is what we see him doing in the no no way home trailer and so yeah I'm definitely thinking like we may even get Owaru in in the multiverse of madness as well. Mm-hmm. 
So I got a beef with Uwadu. Okay, he's got his <laughs> rule. He can't intervene. If I'm doing some weird evil magic and somebody shows up and whispers, ooh, should I get involved and stop you? That's getting involved, okay? <laughs> if you're in your pocket dimension and then some like omnipotent being is just in the corner eating popcorn like Drax, okay, <laughs> that's getting involved. To, to be fair, the only reason why Strange was able to see him is because he had amassed so much power and had read about it. Yeah, but Iwatu knows that. He doesn't have to be like five feet away to look at stuff. Yeah. I think think he he wouldn't... I don't think he had the power to at least stop him. I think think at at the very least, being as omnipotent as as he is, he could have said something because Doctor Strange heard him. Um, And I think that's the most he could probably have done was like, stop, dude. This This is not going to end well. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go the way you think. Well, that's <laughs> right? that's kind of a Watsu's thing in the comics, though. He's like, oh, I'm never going to intervene, and then he does. He does yeah, all the he, time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he He's full of shit. That that's what he always times. does. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so... Um, and it, it's interesting because before this episode, there was a discourse from the No Way Home trailer saying, yeah. like, Doctor Strange is not that reckless. He would never do something like that. <laughs> I'm just like, did y'all not watch Doctor Strange? And, yeah. and Infinity War and and then and, and, and in the game. Like, you know, he's he's not the you know, he he's not the sorcerer supreme yet. He's getting there, but he still has to learn the lessons. Uh, His very you know. first character arc is is stealing books from the library. It's he's all right. about that yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. he'll do and anything for knowledge. Time. Yeah, exactly. And using the time stone was he was uh deliberately told several times not to do it. And you know, he he did it anyway, so it ended up working out. But that doesn't make him any less arrogant, because you know it's like the um, the ancient one says to him, "You still haven't learned the most important lesson of all. It's not about you." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like he's kind of like Tony Stark. Tony's a lot more reckless. Like Tony will definitely self destruct if things are going wrong and everyone else is collateral. But Strange, he'll definitely he wants control. He likes to be the guy watching everything go down. He acted that way in Infinity War and Endgame. Like, he always wants to have the plan and everyone follow the plan. He's going to kind of take over Tony's role, I think, going forward. That's why he's so involved in everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, this episode made me care more about Christine than Doctor Strange did by far. Like, <laughs> they kind of like. She's in the second one. Is she? I'm not even sure. I know she's not going to get her hero persona. Right. She has a hero persona? Never mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that she, supposed to be Night Nurse? Yeah, she's Night Nurse. Oh, and then, yeah. Then they kind of made Rosario Dawson Night Nurse. And then the Defenders verse got wiped out. So, <laughs> no, she's not. Hey, it's, all, it's canon to me, okay? Luke Cage is canon <laughs> to me. Can everything but Iron Fist be canon? <laughs> I think I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with he that. He got crushed by falling rocks on the way to the Avengers. Oh no. <laughs> I'd like to put it out there right now that I'd like Daniel Wu to be um Danny Rand. I am hundred percent on board with that. Okay. It's been decided. <laughs> just call up someone call Kevin Feige. Yeah. <laughs> we we this this council. <laughs> um 
Do we have uh, anything else about this episode that we want to talk about? I thought, I, one thing I'll say, I thought it was cool that Doctor Strange had to, like, absorb a bunch of demons. And one of them was, uh, believe it was the same, like, tentacle monster from the Captain Carter episode. It's still not named. Yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. supposed to be Shuma Goriath, maybe? But we don't know for yeah. sure. Or it's just an unnamed one of the, uh, what is it, the many angled ones? That's the species? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I, I was I I laughed when he the bug came out. He's like, even I draw the line at bugs. And he's like, nice cape. <laughs> well, take the cape, <laughs> okay. right? Yoink! Because he's got to have an evil cape. Yes, you got to distinguish. But also, R.I.P. to the to the right? uh, levitating cloak of something. Cloak mm-hmm. of levitation. I think that's just what it's called. I don't think it has. Yeah, person, it's got D and D names. Yeah. I was I always forget that that cloak is sentient until it is, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it's just because Wong's such a more charismatic sidekick that you forget about the cloak. Yeah. Oh, we'll, uh, well, we'll get into Wong. Wong is yeah, uh, we'll talk about Wong. Yeah, man, he's uh, he's the MVP. He's been around a lot lately. He's uh, always the MVP. Mm-hmm. Okay. If Wong was around in all the movies, like if Wong was a main character. Most of the movie season would be a whole lot shorter. <laughs> I just we can get into it, uh, Chris. You want to get in uh, Shang Chi? Yes. I kind of took so, over talking about what if, so you can get debriefs about Shang Chi, and then we can get into it. That'll be the main portion of uh, our episode today. Yes. All good. Yes, we finally got Shang Chi. Um, after I guess even even teasing the Ten Rings back in Iron Man and depending who you ask dropping the ball with that um we we got uh the first um asian american superhero in the mcu on the big screen as as a lead superhero Um, i might be incorrect on this but i think simu is canadian is he i think he is canadian he might yeah i think he is North North American, Asian North American superhero. (laughs) Uh, Google autocomplete is uh, Canadian actor. So okay, so first, uh, just because I know him from Kim's Convenience. I love that show. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so this this film was not without its controversy coming into it because of that one Disney executive whose name I can't remember right now who said this was going to be an experiment. Bob Chapek? Yeah, Bob Chapek. Okay, so the head of Disney now. Uh, yeah, all the Bobs. Um, <laughs> he said this was going to be an experiment because they were doing, what, 45 days in theaters, and then they were going to do Disney+. Plus. And, you know, Disney just doesn't have the greatest track record when it comes to people of color and, and their films, and then to call one at an experiment. Um, but, you know, it's smashing box office records. It is. Um, people are still making their way out to go see it despite the pandemic. People are being smart about it. Um, you know, like I know all the people like in our community are like, you know, like, all right, I'm scouting out the theater to see how many people are in there and then going to see it. But it was truly a, a, a fantastic film. It is one of the best solo origin movies that we've gotten in the MCU. It is probably top 10 mcu for me i need to see it a few more times before i can like really sink it but i want to go see it more times yeah it's definitely top three for me and that's not because i'm asian 
Um, but <laughs> I'm proud. I'm proud. I'm proud of this this film. Uh, I, w- I hope that like it smashing box office records for Labor Labor Day weekend amidst the pandemic. Yeah, makes them see that not, none of these films that that are like you know central to people of color should be experiments. Mm-hmm. Because that's just the reality of the world. There's going, there's Asians, there's black people, there's brown people, there's you know, there's a whole bunch of cultures that, if you made a movie about them, those people would show up in droves to support it. And uh, I think um, this is just another testament on that on that wall of achievement. Um, Shang Chi is is does so much. Um, like it normalizes the Asian American experience, it normalizes the Asian experience, and it normalizes Asian mythos, like with Talo and and you know, if you watch any kind of Chinese dramas like um, Shansha or Wuxia um, dramas, you get all of that um, in this movie. And this is how I sold my brother on it because he's still kind of scared of the Delta variant. But like, you have to see it because this is like a a, a Chinese Wuxia drama with marvel money mm-hmm. right. and that's just that just makes everything that much more better like the visuals in it the, the the choreography i think it was i think the action director was brad allen who worked with jackie yeah. chan like on gorgeous and uh, many other um action flicks and i just everything just came together like absolutely brilliantly and uh yes i, I will see it again and again and again and again yeah r.i.p uh brad allen it's yes. uh, really unfortunate that we get such a uh, incredible uh, action out of him, and uh, his early passing is really unfortunate for movies and the MCU. Definitely. You know, speaking of the choreography, the choreography is is easily the the top two or the best that we've gotten in the MCU when it comes to hand to hand combat. Oh yeah. Uh, the only thing that would come close would be. Iron oh. Fist on Netflix. <laughs> mm. Just kidding. Uh, I did, that existed. I mean, the only... I'm trying to think of the best hand-to-hand Marvel movie. The Winter Soldier? Yeah, it'd yeah. be Winter Soldier. But it wasn't the whole Winter Soldier. There were, like, it was just bits seen. and pieces. Yeah. yeah. That and um, Black Panther in Civil War. Right. Just those scenes. Or, or the Daredevil couple of scenes. Of course, yeah. those don't count yeah. anymore. Yeah. But when it when it comes to like a whole like a movie in and of itself, oh, Shang Chi yeah. takes to, takes a cake as it should, considering Shang Chi is the, it's all about is combat. He, is he yep. the best martial artist in the Marvel universe, or he's top five definitely across like everybody. I know there's several different universes, right? But I th- I think I think the one that I'm most familiar with ranks him as the number one okay. in terms of um, hands hand yeah. combat. Because that's his thing. Mm. And like, there's this one moment in the comics that we're not going to get just because of how everything is played out with, like, you know, uh, Chadwick Boseman have passed away and Luke Cage not being part of the MCU yet. But, you know, Black T'Challa and Luke Cage are going on a quest. T'Challa has to find a wife. And this is, like, right before he marries Storm the first time. Um, and, you know, they end up in, in Asia and this... Uh, Asian warlord is trying to, you know, like marry uh, T'Challa with his daughter, and it ends up being um, Shang Chi's uh, half sister. And you know, he shows up, and Luke Cage is like, "Who is this?" And he's like, 
uh, T'Challa says, out of all your adventures with Danny Rand, he's he's never told you about him? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, no offense to your friend Danny. Danny's a good fighter, but Shang-Chi is that guy. And he's like, are you saying <laughs> Danny is hating on him? And he's like, I'm just saying, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if anything's going to come out of this for the future of the MCU, it means we'll have better action scenes whenever Shang-Chi shows up. Yeah. Because they've set the bar pretty high. For a lot of characters, too, right? Mm. For, oh, yeah. I, f- I forget. Um, um, Shin Lang? Shin Yan? I, I forgot her name, but Ming Er's character, um, Shang-Chi's sister, mm-hmm. um, had great action. Uh, even Aquafina, uh, you know. Did like you know? Did some heavy lifting on that front, even though she wasn't like a fighter in that yep. in that movie. Um, and then, of course, just the 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 dichotomy between his mother's, I'll, I'll say it like air, uh, element bending. Right, she's an airbender. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very rep- reminiscent of Avatar, where the different fighting styles are attributed to a different element. Mm. Yeah, and so like when we would be an earthbender, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. with his his strong stance, horse stance, and like fists and punching the yep. earth and stuff. Yeah, I, I thought that 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 um, separation between the fighting styles and then it culminating in Shang Chi having like a mix of them both being like the I guess the 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 best outcome yep. was, was amazing. Oh yeah, and I also like that uh, there was a lot of diversity in the type of uh, environments and the fights that we got throughout the movie. Like, it'd be really easy to find what works and stick with it, but without spoiling everything. I don't know how much are we spoiling here. Full spoilers. Look at the spoiler warning at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but like going from the bus scene to fighting on the bamboo scaffolding to basically the Dragon Ball fight at the end of the movie. <laughs> uh, like, you're going to get your fill if you're into some kind of uh, uh, either anime or traditional Chinese kung fu. You're in for a treat. Oh, yeah. And if you if you were in the theater and you watched that uh, bamboo scaffolding scene and you did not say, don't worry. Chinese bamboo is very strong. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where your head's at. I don't know yes, head's at. it. Yes, I, I had those same vibes going in. I meant to. I meant to text you about that after I saw it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, um, you know, like I love the hallway scenes that we get in the in the Netflix verse. But you know, like you can do, you can fight, you can have more than one good fight in the hallway throughout your shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the benchmark the, is a bus fight now, right? Yeah, yeah, and all fight. the environments were used in unique ways, yep. which is another thing. It's not just they're just fighting in this location, you know, with like the bamboo, you know, uh, with the platforms and fighting different ways and using the, you know, like as um, like uh, swinging bars and just using that to your advantage and using that uh, limited space uh, for the boardwalks. And then with the bus, um, you know, using the handrails and using because uh, I haven't been on one of those accordion buses, but uh, that was very clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have those over here. I'm going to be honest. On that on that bamboo fight, I was not sure if Aquafina was going to make it out of that when she started falling and they like do the, uh, like I guess the Gwen Stacy shot where they're like mm-hmm. falling away and he's reaching out his hand and then she he can't reach her. Like, no way. I mean, why not? Like We don't know if, I don't know if from, from the trailers we see her in future scenes. 
I mean, I just, I mm. knew, I mean, Aquafina's probably one of the bigger stars that was known before this movie. So I was just like, they're not going to kill Aquafina. Not yet, at least. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Which is odd because she's with him at like the mid credits, um, mm-hmm. and like she's part of his journey now. But there must be something to it, right? Because like yeah. we have someone who does arrows, and they're training another person to do arrows. Like, I don't know why she's so important to Wong's plan. Yeah, he comes in. He's like, "You have the ten rings. Come with me." Oh, you do. I don't know what you do, but come with me. So yeah, right. There's more to her for sure. I'm sure we'll find out. There'll be something. Or like maybe that's her thing. Kind of like Taskmaster. She can just pick up stuff real fast. Because it was three days, right? Ooh, and like true. that wasn't the world's hardest shot. But for someone who's never touched a bow before, it's pretty impressive. I mean, I, archery is my hobby. I don't think I could make that shot. Right. I mean, it's hard it's hard to it's hard to imagine the scale and the distance from the ground to the to the uh the demon's throat. You don't but... shoot demons? Are no, you an I amateur? <laughs> I, I, I might as well be, yes. <laughs> I need to go uh searching for demons. So one thing I okay, really So I that... apparently she's a person called Apex. Hmm. Is she? Um uh, I'm trying to find out more now because I'm looking it up because now I'm I curious. mean just judging from the name. You know, got an idea, might, yeah. She might be like the, the at the height of like skill, I guess, in, in everything that she pursues. And it go with her line that she was saying with her mom, like she picks stuff up as soon as she becomes moderately competent, she drops it. So that's well, true. One thing I did like about this movie was that uh, both Katie and uh, Shang Chi, you know, a lot of the Marvel superheroes we get are like ultra professionals, you know, the smartest yeah. minds and trained military people and assassins. And obviously, Shang Chi had training, but I like that him and Katie, they were almost like they were meant to be more relatable. Like they're people, I think you can assume they're probably in their late twenties. You know, they're yep. folks in their late twenties that you know they're out of school, they're fully adults, but they really haven't figured their lives are out yet, right? Like that was kind of the message they were getting and it was nice that we get characters like that in the mcu you know you have mm-hmm. spider-man but spider-man's a teenager dealing with teenager problems and i felt like it was nice to get someone that i feel like was in my age demographic where it's yep. like okay you're a full adult you're working but there's still a lot about your future you haven't figured out yet and i really appreciate it that we got characters like that um in this movie for sure yeah, and even if we go into other characters for like adult related themes in terms of relatability, like even Scott Langs is a bit kind of um detached from reality. Like none of us are world class thieves and right. <laughs> are are dealing with his issues. So it's it's definitely more grounded for sure, like having to deal with uh, you know, being a valet and, and finding your calling in life. Especially buddy, in, the, in yeah. the face of Asian parents, too. <laughs> and your buddy's making fun of the fact that you don't have the traditional successful job, even though that's just yeah. not what you want to do. Yep. Yeah. Definitely then, hitting that, uh, that quarter-life crisis. And what what was mm-hmm. the line um, that the woman said in Talo? Uh, like, you got to aim at the, the aim at something. Like, I don't remember what exactly was said. But, you know, like seeing that dinner, it's just like, yep. Yeah, if you well, don't, I think it's like if you don't aim at anything, you won't hit anything. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Michael Scott. <laughs> you, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. So I, 
I really want to get into what I think was one of the best parts about this movie, which was uh, the villain. We got a oh. we got oh, another yeah. really really good Marvel villain. I would say he's probably top three villains with me, with probably Thanos and Killmonger. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we got the you know the award winning amazing amazing uh, Tony Lung playing uh, playing a Shu Wen Wu who is like the MCU's version of like the Mandarin. So for those of you who don't know, the Mandarin very controversial character he's sort of iron man's arch nemesis and mostly a stereotype and you got a version of him in iron man 3 where you know the mandarin's presented as like the scary terrorist and then it turns out it's ben kingsley essentially playing a guy who's an actor that was a front for like the villain of that movie but this movie you finally get like the mcu's real version of that character and i mean i thought he was great so uh what did you uh? What did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, no, he, I mean, he was a. Oh, go ahead, Pep. Oh, you go first. Uh, he, he's a great character. Um, you know, you can tell like there was that struggle between him trying to be a good father and the way his wife wanted him to be a good father by his standards of being, you know, like the head of the ten rings and how to raise his children to be, or at least his son to be strong. Um. And you, you know, you, you, you felt the emotions that he felt like when like his wife was killed and, you know, like, you know, trying to rely on his son. And he's like, you guys are home now. You know, you, you can try, you had the emotion and the character depth, even though, you know, while he was the main villain, you know, this is Shang-Chi's story. So he's not on screen that much, but when he was on screen, it counted. He made it count. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we finally had a villain. They don't have to have like a kick the puppy moment right because like yeah. where it's like oh they start out super relatable or at least like i get where they're coming from and then they have to do something completely irredeemable uh so that's okay for us to kill him off like he started off irredeemable we were like okay i mean this guy he might have a great arc but he's probably dangerous for everything yeah. going forward and as we go on we only learn more and more about him he only becomes more and more complex uh, unlike Killmonger, who they had to have the scene where he's like, actually, I'm just going to go start bombing the cities. And they were like, okay, this is how you're going to justify getting rid of him because everything else he says makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Leong, he, uh, as Wen Wu, gets to go the whole movie with just a really interesting uh, dynamic with his uh, children and then his uh, obsession with his wife. I, I just thought they did a great job with him. Yeah, it was it was definitely one of the uh, another one of those kind of Voltaire like villains where you know you you don't necessarily agree with how they're doing things, but you kind of understand them. So like, you know, when it came to when it came to Wenwu or or the Mandarin, um, the story started out with everything that he's doing wrong. You know, he's yeah. got the ten rings, he's conquering lands, and he's shaping the world. It's interesting we didn't get to see how he was maintaining that in contemporary context. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of saw him in Macau, um, like, show up, and then the story um, took off from there. But, like, it's interesting to see that how, how you know, how love was the thing that made him kind of abandon this um, pursuit of, I guess, um, dominion because that's what the Ten Rings organization was for, um, shaping the world and just 
conquering everything. And, you know, he meets, it, it was fascinating to see him, like his first encounter with um, Shang-Chi's mother. I forget her name, but, you know, that fight, that initial fight, that just makes him smile when he's in the in the um, puddle of water. Yeah. You kind of see, like, so maybe he, maybe he wanted to, like, rule the entire world, but, you know, he found that one thing that, that could kind of take him away from that line of thinking. And then, you know, even after he lost her, um, it didn't become, it didn't like revert. He didn't revert back to like his old self. He was, he kind of, his aims was always to bring her back, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, as we rejoin Wenwu, um, after, um, in Macau, everything that he's done, everything that he's devoted his 10 rings, we find out, no, he's not like really trying to have dominion over the whole world anymore. He's literally like, doing all this research and pouring all of his resources into finding this place, finding the path. And I thought it was really cool that like for once, like he had the, the purest of intentions and his methods um, weren't exactly bad, you know? Right. If you, if you're like, if you're blinded by that love and you just want to open a door Maybe you let out an evil demon, but you're not necessarily kind of like, oh, I have to destroy a planet to bring her back. Like your 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 goal is to open this door, and people are just in the way. So his goal isn't necessarily to kill people; it's just, you know, getting past these obstacles. So yeah. he was definitely an interesting character to to watch. Yeah, I mean, like the the through line for this movie, there's a lot of family. Like that mm-hmm. seems to be driving a lot of the decisions here. I feel like a version of this where he doesn't die right there, he probably would have given up 10 rings. Probably like if, if his uh, children stuck around, he probably would have tried to go back to where he was before. Of course, that's not dramatic. So they wouldn't have done that. That's why he had to die to keep things going. But uh, I don't know if it's cause I just finished watching. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen Hunter Hunter. Yes. But uh yeah, he's kind of like Meruem in that case, where he finds something that finally makes him give up, give up his uh, ambitions for world domination. And I guess this would be after she died. No spoilers for... I'm keeping it vague, but <laughs> it'd be like if... Uh, yeah, you, you find something that gives you purpose beyond your grand ambitions, and then, yeah, for him, he lost it. But he kept going. So. Yeah. No, and he blamed himself. Right. For- his wife's death and he you know at the end you know he blames shang chi but you know he blames himself he's like i didn't you know she told me she could be be i could be better and i tried to be that for her i was wrong because if i hadn't given up the rings you know the iron gang would have never tried to do this and it's my fault she's dead Uh, and he doesn't take complete responsibility like he does blame his children which is like ridiculous because he never trained them up until their point that point yeah. what are they going to do they're like legitimately like five-year-olds yeah, was, and two-year-olds yeah like two and five yeah yeah they were super young i will say though if you're if you were like a former warlord and you retire you gotta have some bodyguards like just yeah. you know like i definitely would have had i don't know where they were were they in the temple or like yeah wherever mm-hmm. they were i definitely would have some guards like just in case 
you know, I mean, even a, old presidents have. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> like the presidents, presidents get Secret Service for life for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say uh, my cousin worked uh, Secret Service with one of our former presidents, and yeah, they don't get to go out picking daisies like he was doing mm-hmm. uh, and leave your family back home. Which is odd, right? Because like he's he's kind of propped up in the beginning with the mythos that follows the Ten Rings, like he's conquered the world. He's has so much underneath the thumb of the ten rings like how does one retire right and like go to like the log cabin and just chill i did like though because when they first show us like who he was you're kind of like okay where well where was he throughout all the other movies and everything that happened and then you know when they slowly peel it back and explain like oh okay no he retired like mm-hmm. he retired and he had to start to build the rings back up. And the second time he was concerned about finding his, you know, finding his wife again, not, you know, world domination. So it makes sense. Like, okay, why didn't anyone ever come after him? You know, that we knew of. So I definitely mm-hmm. thought they, uh, they, they did a good job of writing that well. Cause you know, one issue sometimes you have with the MCU is that you always get into, you have all these world ending events and there's always like, well, where was, who, where was, you know, XYZ person when this happened, you know, where was Spider-Man and Falcon, the winter soldier. So I thought at least the writing with this one, they did a pretty good job of, uh, keeping that, that storyline tight, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. They yeah. did open the doors too for for multiverse of madness simply with the existence of Kunlun and Talo, um, yeah. with doorways on Earth leading to these universes, and especially I don't know if like I mean of course what if isn't MCU canon, but like it shows us that like there's there's this there's this castle of Cagliostro or the library of Cagliostro that is essentially like at least what i interpreted was another universe that he had to kind of mm-hmm. like um travel to i mean what if it's non-canon until they decide it's canon right so, i mean it, yeah like it, it's not you know canon to the sacred timeline as he who remains would call it but you know these are other versions of of this world so there's no nothing to say like oh yeah you know kagliosha doesn't exist in you know, mm-hmm. this one just strange wasn't interested in it. That's what the Uatu says though, right? He says he says this is what happened in this universe, but in right. this universe with what if. So Yeah. They're definitely canon in the fact that they're all within a, a world or a, a universe, but different universes. Yeah. I'm That's- really curious what uh Xiaoling she's taking over obviously in the final post credit scene. She's taking over for the Ten Rings, I doing a bit of scene. a makeover, doing a bit of makeover for the place, but like I don't know what her motivations are cuz like she's still got a close relation a closer relationship now with her brother, right? She reunited, she's got a good relationship with the people in Talo, like she has a place with family there. I'm curious. Uh obviously she's got her own goals she set up her own fighting ring and whatever. I just don't know why she'd be as objectively evil as her dad. Not objectively evil. I do think that they're setting up like an antagonistic group for when they start venturing into X-Men. Sure. They might bring in the hand as like a, like a, an opposing force for her. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, they it could be something like in DC when you had, 
Ra's al Ghul as the head of the League of Assassins. That's what I was going to say. They're pretty much the League Talia of Assassins. Talia al Ghul yeah. be yeah. the League of Assassins. Like, they were still assassins, but instead of being, like, villains, they were more, like, anti-heroes once Talia took over. Mm -hmm. So they could do something like that, or it could be just something else entirely. Um, she could just be, you know, because we, we saw... Um, it, they pointed out specifically that there were more women in this, so this could just be like her trying to make sure that you know women are trained as well, or mm. you know. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting because clearly, like Shang Chi's not going to be for any plan that involves killing his sister mm. if she's in any role opposing the Avengers. I don't think uh, clearly Wong doesn't care because he knows what's going on there. It's too small fish for him, uh, and all the other people involved in the Mystic Arts and whatever. So. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, where they're going to fit in here. Just like I don't know where the new Dark Avengers or whatever uh, is going on with Julie, uh, Louise Dry uh, Dreyfus, people in the raft. Oh, the, um, the yeah, so her, her doing her uh, Avengers initiative. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing, speaking of Shang-Chi not wanting to kill his sister, uh, one thing that they, they highlighted is that Shang-Chi did end up avenging his mother. He killed the person that killed, that ordered the head right. of his mother and it traumatized him i mean he was 14 years old but you know it traumatized him enough to run away not to run back to his father to run away start a new life under a new name for a little over a decade and you know just him you know come like hiding from that past and having to have to deal with that trauma i think they could set them they could be setting them up to just be background players and setting up another end game type sure. of moment where Kang is against the new Avengers and like the, the, the 10 rings come in through portals and, and it's another <laughs> one of those right. Avengers assemble moments. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of the rings, uh, going to the to post credit scene, you know. Well, hold we on, have... hold on. We got to talk about Wong's cameo first, and then we'll get to the uh, post credit Wong. scene. In a second. <laughs> okay, Wong cameo. The first one, I think that's during the No Way Home trailer. I think so too. Like the reason that they couldn't get involved is because this is happening at the same time as No Way Home. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. So it's very interesting because, like, we've heard, like, they made a joke in Infinity War that pretty much Doctor Strange and Wong don't have any money. In this movie, we see that. <laughs> yeah. So first we see Wong fighting Abomination. And it's like, and then afterwards it's revealed that essentially, like, the fight is staged, you know, almost like pro wrestling, right? So I thought, I mean, at, at first it was just, it was a cameo. And you're like, okay, well, that's neat. So it makes you think, like... So Wong is just, you know, doing underground cage matches just to make some money to keep the lights on the sanctum. It looks like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a fun cameo. I mean, I thought it was creative for sure. I didn't even notice my first viewing within the um, when they're in, when they when they're walking into the cage place, there's like a Black Widow because you know there's a bunch of them now. There's a Black Widow fighting like a. Uh, I extremist. think one of the extremist, yeah, extremist like mm -hmm. soldier person from Iron Man three. I don't know how I missed that the first time, but I did. But um, yep. and then there was a uh, a spike, the the guy with the spike faces. Uh, I can't remember what he's called, but he's he's a uh, Easter egg too. Yeah, Abomination oh, yeah. has his fins, his comic People's accurate fins Jerry this time. Um. But then it kind of comes full circle where Wong shows up in the post. He shows up at the end of the movie. 
you know, to take uh, Shang-Chi and Katie, and then he's there in the post-credit scene. So, I mean, yeah, Chris, we can talk about post-credits if you want. Yeah, we'll have to so get the post-credit scene. So, we come in, you know, Wong, at the end of the movie, he gets Shang-Chi, and he gets uh, Katie, and calls them in, you know, basically saying, this is the Nick Fury, you're part of a much larger universe. Um, mm-hmm. And you have Bruce Banner there, not Professor Hulk, but Bruce Banner. I think we're done with Professor to, Hulk. People complain about it way too much. They probably wanted to save on the money, too. Because you're like, why well, CGI him when we can just have Mark Ruffalo show up for a day? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had uh, Captain Marvel's Carol Danvers, who was actually like a much more lively mm-hmm. interaction than like we saw in Endgame. But then again, in Endgame, she had only had the character for like three days. Yeah, that's so. the thing that, that like a lot of people don't catch is like they filmed Endgame before they filmed Captain Marvel. So yeah, she didn't. So know they were it. just like, "You're Captain Marvel." Now let's film that game. Yeah, you show up, you blow this up, you punch Thanos, and that's all we see of you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, so um, able to have, uh, you know, so she was there, and uh, they're looking, they were studying the Ten Rings, and they're like, they're alien, and they're much older than the thousand years that we were told in the movie, and they're they're calling out to someone, and it started when Shang-Chi put them on, so... um, you know, it, I feel like, you know, like if, if Chadwick Boseman hadn't died, T'Challa would have been there because of Wakanda's connection to the mystical right. and also with technology. It would have been nice for Shuri to be there. Yeah, right? I I, like, like, yeah. Why is Hulk talking about uh, vibranium? Where's Shuri at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like Shuri should have been there. But I don't know. Maybe they just couldn't get it work out timing wise. Um, or, you know, maybe when we see Black Panther 2, she's busy with something. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it, it was, I'm very curious as to who they're calling out to. I have zero theory. <laughs> well, you know, actually, Shuri not being there, maybe she is the new Black Panther and they can't have her show up there because that give away possibly, uh, yeah. Wakanda forever. Yeah. It could, I wonder if it's related to the Eternals at all. Um, I'm thinking that's all we know, like, right? That's out yeah. in space. Mm-hmm. Do we know when the Eternals takes place? Uh, after end after game. Endgame, That's yeah, because they oh, mentioned the sna- they mentioned the people coming back from the blip in the trailer. That's, that's right. It so far, I do believe then that that's who they're calling. I mean, they I think the language was specific, like it, um, it's not of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it looked like the that. outside of their ship, right? Because I don't, uh, I think it's just because I saw Shang Chi twice. So after watching that, I saw the trailer for Eternals, and like it's the same, like weird like yellow hieroglyphics on the outside of their ship and the one scene it's going around the sun but i could be wrong i mean for all we know they're going to decide what that is three years from now <laughs> they're kind of just like leaving it up in the air to see whatever people's theories are i mean i i, I dig it time to watch the internals trailer again <laughs> yeah right <laughs> or oh here's the theory maybe it's calling out to a kang variant because be. we know in in the main um, Marvel Comics line, so 616 and other ones, Kang does send back, you know, technology to the past. And, you know, he was uh, Ramatut in the Earth 616. And then, you know, but Apocalypse kind of takes over his technology after he flees. So it's possible that this could be Kang sending out something and, you know, just using it as a way for him to lure himself to 
the main timeline. Could be. I actually, now that I think about it, I actually think it's a lot more calling to the Eternals because um, if they're going off of like comics lore, right? The the Eternals' power comes from the power cosmic. Mm. Um, and if we're comparing displays of power, like the rings, as uh, Shang Chi and Wen Wu was using them, compares heavily to like the way we see it. The their powers in Eternals manifest, yeah. especially with especially with uh, Angelina Jolie. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, also for all we know, like. He, these rings and Shang-Chi is going to have to tie into future events, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eternals get their power from the Celestials. Um, this just popped in my head right now. Maybe in a, some future timeline, they're going to have to use that to make the ultimate nullifier mm. to uh, stop mm. Galactus. I got one, yeah. I hunger. Because I mean, he's going to show up at some point, right? <laughs> you can't you can't have like Marvel in space and have Galactus show up, especially with the Fantastic Four movie yeah. coming out. Well, Fantastic Phase Four, yeah, you gotta get Galactus. Galactus. Gotta get Doom at some point for sure. Yep, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. I will say this is just a side note. I like how creative they were using the rings as well as like weapons. Mm-hmm. I definitely thought because you like they're. You know, you know, there are a lot of weapons that you see. You know, you see swords a lot. You know, they did a lot with Cap Shield, things like that. You know, Black Panther's claws, see arrows. And it was nice to be like, what are they going to do with rings? And it's like, okay, magic rings. And it was very, it was cool that they were they were using to like propel themselves to almost fly and, you know, things like that. I thought, I thought it was really creative when they used that in the movies. And I would say the, the CGI overall when they went to Talo, was pretty good with the animals. Definitely better than Black Panther's uh, CGI rhinos. So, um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I, I just, in general, I thought the effects in this one were, uh, they're pretty good. Like, there's yeah, definitely love... been worse effects in Marvel movies for sure. It's like the Small. first Marvel movie where the face or where Act 3 CGI didn't just, like, die. <laughs> right. <laughs> A uh, small little detail with using the rings to fly uh, was pretty incredible to see them actually use it to land. Mm-hmm. I love, yeah, the like double arm concussion thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. because you you normally don't you don't typically see people having to account for the landing from like a high jump. Like yeah. even if people are not like super strong, but they have super speed or super agility, and then they they do like a huge jump and then they fly and then they yeah. land and like. You don't have durability, though. Like, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I also like that they do also flow with his uh, movements too. Again, kind of like Avatar. It it gives us something to work with, so they don't have to put leaves around everywhere whenever they're doing their air bending. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, when this? I mean, I know we just lost the stunt choreographer, but if this director wants to do a live action Avatar. I mean, it looks like we're going to have two bad versions, but I think he could pull it off. I mean, you know, just give him Kiyoshi. I, I want a live action oh, yeah. Kiyoshi. That'd work. Definitely. Oh, I, oh we yeah. didn't. For, one thing I. Oh, one last thing. Uh, ben Kingsley comes back. I was just going to mention him. Yeah, yeah, yeah we haven't yeah. talked about that important character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ben Ben Kingsley plays. Uh, what's his name? Trevor Slattery, who's an actor that yeah. played the fake Mandarin Iron Man 3. So I saw he was at the premiere, so I knew he was going to be in this movie. Yep. I did not know he was going to be in this movie as much as he was. 
And there's a... I mean, I think most people liked him for the most part, but I mean, yeah, we can just talk about it. Like he, he was like a solid player for like the at least the, what the third act you would say. Mm-hmm. He gets them he, to Tao Lo, and he's there during the final battle. He plays dead, which was hilarious. Yeah, he was the Agent Ross uh, of of this movie. Gotta, <laughs> I'd say no, no, no. He's more. Uh, what does Morgan guy. Freeman play in uh black panther martin freeman agent yeah ross. martin freeman yeah oh yeah okay yeah that's agent ross yep i keep forgetting because there's general ross too they really got to have people with different names yeah as a species we're not great at naming things no <laughs> i mean i thought it was great we definitely needed a character who wasn't part of the family dynamic just to kind of like observe things more lightheartedly i didn't think he like overstayed his welcome i loved whenever they'd like they're panning around to all the serious faces, and then he, you, you forget he's there, and it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you fighting? Yep. But then you know you you see that, and then you get to the scene where um, Morris is uh, is checking his body. He's like, I'm just acting. Don't worry about it. Yep. You know, that was like, get back down here. Act like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I really liked in this movie. I feel like unlike a lot of solo movies, they were comfortable letting some of the side characters get their own victories. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Katie gets to make the final saving shot on the, uh, what do they call it? Like the mega soul sucker or whatever. The one yeah. who dwells in darkness. Yeah. Uh, the sister is never like, she gets her own action s- scenes. She's not just constantly getting uh, outshined by Shang-Chi so they can show, Oh, but he's better at Kung Fu. Um, yeah. Trevor gets to, steal the show and most of the scenes him just like the dad steals the show and i'd say half of this movie so mm-hmm. it was a nice change of pace i'm tired of iron man movies where it's just tony 100 percent of the time <laughs> i'm just tired of for that. sure like you uh, besides the cannon fodder and the rank and file you know characters everyone had a pretty solid outing in terms of like their characters mm-hmm Yeah. yeah. Overall, we- great film. Definitely go see it if you haven't. I mean, granted, we've we've practically spoiled most of the movie for you. But, you know, <laughs> go see it again. You're right. Go see it again. I if mean, you, if you- according to the numbers, people are seeing it, so you know, mm-hmm. it's good. I mean, it's good too. And I mean, I'm curious. I'm curious how it's going to affect things moving forward. I mean, we're definitely not getting any more movies on Disney Plus. Like. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right when they come out, I mean, clearly, you know, this the made money in Black Widow. Yeah, exactly. This made money in Black Widow didn't. So the the suits at Disney, they're not going to be as, I, they're not going to be as free, I think, with their movies going forward, even with the pandemic. Um, yeah. But, also, they probably don't want to get sued again. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'd say, like, even if you listen to all this and you're like, ah, oh, but they kept focusing on the MCU stuff. Like, even if you know nothing about the MCU or don't care about it or are tired of them, this is just a good Kung Fu movie. Yeah. Like, if you like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, this is relatively reminiscent of that kind of movie. It's, it's very self-contained, definitely. It's a Kung Fu movie with Marvel money, as I said. <laughs> if nothing else, go watch it for that. All right, Chris, we got anything else to close out the episode? Uh, everybody see the uh, Spider-Man No Way Home trailer? Oh, yeah. of course. I mean, I feel wait, like we which could, version? Chris, I feel like we could throw that in there before we sign off. Yeah, just real quick, because uh, I know, you know, we, 
people got work tomorrow and, and still got a holiday yeah. for those of us that are on the other side of the country. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah, so the No Way Home trailer came out after being talked to death about when's it coming out? When's it coming out? Um, by, you know, the, the Spider-Man fandom. So it, it came out, uh, it confirmed things that, so, you know, we had theorized, you know, Doc Ock, Alfred Molina's back as Doc Ock. Uh, Willem Dafoe for Green Goblin. You saw the pumpkin bomb and you heard Willem Dafoe's distinct laughter. Doctor Strange is reckless. Spider-Man's not thinking things through. You know, the whole thing of he's like, wait, how am I going to make a spell to forget or have Aunt May forget or MJ forget or Ned forget? Like, you can just tell them afterwards. right? Yeah. If they don't believe you, just show yourself sticking to a wall. Like, you know, <laughs> think this through, Peter. But, you know, um, At the very least, stop speaking during the spell. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, there there wasn't a way I was not going to go see this movie. So, you know, yeah. like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, it's Spider-Man. It's always going to have a following. And I mean, now after seeing the trailer, like, Toby and Andrew got to be in this movie. Like, they have to. There's no way I think TikTok would survive if they aren't. Um, <laughs> I, I know somebody leaked or like leaked a, fo- a set photo with the three of them, and then that got copyright claimed by Sony. And I don't think cop- uh, Sony can copyright doctored photos, so I don't know. I, I'll, all I know is I'm going to stop watching these trailers because Sony has a bad track record of spoiling the plots for all the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> and that's one good thing with Shang Chi; it did not spoil the plot. Oh, oh really no. spoil the plot. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know half of that movie after, you know, seeing it. I was like, dang, I only saw like the first ten minutes of the movie. The right. Yeah. It did, you know, give away like the abomination and Wong thing, but that that wasn't that, you know, crucial to the story. That was just mm-hmm. a fun thing to see. But, but yeah, even then you didn't know in the trailer that like the fight was fixed and like Wong and Abomination are cool. I thought that was like I thought they did a good job of showing you what was going to be in the movie, but then you see that and you go, oh, well, they're friendly. What's going on here? It makes you, you know, that part was surprising for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think that the most exciting thing about No Way Home is that I think everybody is, uh, aside from like the Spider-Verse implications, like uh, everyone is looking forward to like, I guess, this phase's catalyst, which is the multiverse of madness. Yeah, there's a lot of reports with like ha- um, people having seen McAvoy there, right? Being Professor X, um, there's gonna be Wanda. There's going to be you know, and this is the start of it. And so this is what makes No Way Home like all the more important. Mm-hmm. With Doctor Strange starting the multiverse, um, that's why I'm convinced it's going to be like fi- Phase Six or Seven. Like the next like End Game is going to be Secret Wars Two. Like you have to set up the multiverse for people to care about destroying the multiverse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, any other other closing thoughts on the uh, No Way Home trailer before we wrap up? Yeah, we did an hour and 20 minutes. Chris, this is a record. It's pretty quick. You know, we've definitely <laughs> been here two and a half hours before and like half of our guests have to leave. So I think we did a pretty good job of time today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, Pep, Nick, thanks for being here. Um, Nick, I know you said you had no social medias, but Pep, if uh, one last Plug all your stuff, like, anything cool yeah. you're working on. Uh, yeah, well, thank you guys for having me, Chris and Chris. 
Um, on TikTok, underscore element seven, underscore YouTube element seven. Uh, on Twitter, element seven X. We do Diet in the Force every Saturday at five p.m. Pacific. Come hang out. Um, we it is a free form time-sensitive show about Star Wars and all the current events surrounding Star Wars, and we just like to hang out with the chat. Um, and that's it. We just we just finished a huge trivia rush tournament, so that was the only thing that, that like, big that I was working on, but otherwise, just come hang out every Saturday. And I might start streaming Destiny 2. I might, like, it's been a while since I played that game, and I'm thinking about returning to it and kind of bringing everybody along. But other than that, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was really it's a fun show today. So, uh, all right, Chris, until next time, live long and prosper. Uh, may the force be with you.